Um, and then you go out there in the world and you see what actually is. We've been talking about defense. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean they're not the same thing? Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> it needs all the things. Give it all the things. Oh, perfect. You nailed it. You can't bend physics. What you can do is write better software. And you're doing MPLS changes or BDP changes. They may God be with you, right? I, I always feel like I'm just a little fish in a sea of big fish. I've got a nested six-node Nissan. Aw, uh, guys. People you know, quite often think that they don't have anything to bring to the table when they absolutely do. Everybody should. Anybody in IT that skips the phone stuff, it just hasn't earned it. Okay, I lied. I have one more question. On demand. Correct. Welcome to GigaCast episode 42 for Tuesday, March 8th, 2022, live to tape from somewhere in Indiana. I'm Britton Johnson. And live from Wisconsin, I am Tony Reeves. It's It's been far too long. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a really long time. <laughs> we've we've lost probably most of our audience. I'm sure that we have because I've the feed has been really broken and... I had to relocate all of it to a different platform. The the, the uh, WordPress site that I was hosting the feed on died several times without my knowledge to it. Um, so here's a bit of a relaunch. <laughs> Let's give this another go. Yeah. Um, so we... Uh, yeah, so Tony, how, how are things? How are you surviving these days? Give give me the 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 thirty second update on Tony. Ah, uh, well, you know, after two years of working in the basement office, kind of sick of that. But I just started a new role where I will be full time remote, so we'll see how that goes. Cool. Well, anytime I come to town, I promise to take you out to lunch. So sweet. Yeah. I'm. I don't know if my Amex even works anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only one way to find out, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations on the new role. I hope it uh, you. becomes a good fit for you. Um, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still covering NSX for healthcare, virtual the cloud networking for, for healthcare customers in the North Central. Um, funny story. I, I like all of a sudden my email and IMs was blowing up on my my work accounts stuff, and I'm, everybody's congratulating me for something. I'm like, what is going on? And apparently, I won an award for the Q4 SE of the quarter or something. <laughs> I'm like, oh, nice. They gave this award away on a call I wasn't invited to. <laughs> <laughs> How nice. I'm like, oh, that's fun. Um, so like, yeah. So like, well, that's that's fun. So now I can walk around the house telling my wife I'm an award winner. So. Cool. You know, Congrats! Yeah, it's it's just funny. The funny part of being a, you know part of a, a global distributed team and trying to figure out how to do work life and and getting all the stuff done. So, um, okay, here's uh, where we're at today. Uh, we have a limited amount of time. We usually you know would post like an hour and a half episode. We don't have that kind of time anymore. So we're going to try to do these things short, quick, and high impact. That's the new format. I just came up with it just now. Do you like it, Tony? Rock on. All right, cool. So um, as, a, as a rule, I always, I mean, this is a rule I completely made up. I said a long time ago, you know what? If you have a pod, if you host a podcast regularly, never invite your boss to your podcast. And so that, that was a rule I made up. So now that my boss is no longer my boss and he's moved to a different role, I'm inviting him to the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Ian Curtis, who's no longer my boss. Hey, Britton, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing well. So I've always thought, like, man, Ian, this guy has got a really great story, a really good background. You're really smart about security stuff. 
I've always wanted to have you on a podcast and air quotes. Yes. And, uh, so, <laughs> so I'm just like, like, how do we, how do we do this? And then finally, you know, you were, you know, you know, sadly you left my team and went to another team. So like, well, now there's my chance. I could finally interview this guy and pull more information out of him. So, so give So your- does this mean that the, uh, that the, um, the compliments are real since I'm not your boss anymore. Exactly. Or- yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So, um, over on the uh, security COE team, COE is Center of Excellence. So, you know, VMware is doing so much in the way of security. Uh, we have a lot of disparate uh, areas where we secure our environment. We tend to approach security, I think, like, regardless of what type of security that we're doing, <clears throat> we talk about building it in instead of bolting it on, right? right like, right. that's the high-level right. marketing approach intrinsic. to security. Intrinsic, right? Yep. Now, uh, I'm not necessarily married to that idea, but that is our strategic advantage um, across the board is that it's, it's built in. It's like, um, if, if you look back historically where, where security has lived in the, in the IT ecosystem has always kind of been an afterthought. And now attackers are doing a lot of the marketing for us, as I say, they're, they're making sure it can no longer be the case. Well, okay. regardless of whether you think of VMware as a security player or not, um, we are in this very unique position to say, hey, the vast majority of our customer data centers are living on top of our stuff. We can see who's writing to an application, who's reading from it, um, what automation frameworks are acting on it. And we can make very intelligent decisions about how to secure it. So what my group is doing is looking to tie those pieces together. Uh, We have a team of security pros who have a a long background, uh, long history background of security through various different vendors or on a customer side and saying, okay, here's what a typical security program looks like. Here's VMware strategic advantage. Here's where we uh, play well. Um, here's where we don't play at all, here's where it's better for a partner solution and so forth, and kind of tying those pieces together in a meaningful way for our customers. And and that's something very exciting because I do think we have a lot of fantastic things that we do in the security space that a lot of people don't know us for. Um, and it's, and it's, it's uh, right now we're building, we're building something, you know, we're building a team, we're building a brand, we're working with marketing, to say who are we and introduce that to our customers and so that people take us very seriously. And obviously we've made a few acquisitions along the way that we could potentially touch on, but it has resulted in some really high fidelity detection of threats and things like that built into the NSX code base. Okay. Um, we could touch on as well. So, well, well and, and this is a global team. So we're, you know, all the implications there is that we have the ability to look ac- across globally the threat landscape and, and factor those things in as well. So I want to set kind of the stage of this discussion a little bit by taking a little bit, a look through the looking glass and taking, you know, taking us back a few years. So, and I want to kind of contrast the past with where we are today, because I feel like the threat landscape has changed drastically, even in the last year. Um, so let's, let's kind of listen to former VMware CEO, Pat Gelsinger at uh, the, the RSA conference in 2016. And, and just kind of let, let's let Pat set the table for this, because I think quite possibly Things may have changed, but maybe not. So let's, let's, let's kind of set the stage here. Perspectives aligned or differed. And what we found was that there were some important and somewhat frightening differences across these groups. And the first was we asked them, you know, what is the single most important asset in your company that needs to be protected from cyber attacks? 
and the CEO's view was their reputation. And the CIO and CISO's view was the regulated data. So, you know, fundamentally different perspective and attitudes of what needs to be protected. We then asked, you know, what is the uh, you know, corporate initiative that has the highest priority? And the CIO and CISO at the top of their list was protecting it against attack. The CEO out to grow the business. And frankly, as a CEO, I know exactly what that pressure is every day, growing the business and that expectation. But frightening was that protecting against cyber attacks or protection of the company barely made the top 10 of the CEO's list. Fundamental difference in perspective. And, you know, and I think the most frightening of all of these differences, we asked, what is the risk of a serious cyber attack within the next 12 months? CEOs, it's important, 25%. But the, those, you, in the know, doing this, almost 50%. And if we decompose this, if there isn't an agreement on how big this threat is, there's no way that the CEO is gonna be empowering and enabling and treating this as the biggest threat that it would be to the enterprise and to the business. From that kind of view, viewpoint, Coming back to today, 2022, are, are we hearing the same kind of messaging coming from the people in charge of enterprises and customers and businesses today where they're like, eh, it's important, but not that important? Or is this, or, or have they finally caught up to their, are they starting to listen to their security people and, and really take this seriously? Where, where have we come in the last few years? It's a, it's a great question, and it's, it's a multifaceted. You know, and it's probably also different from organization to organization. But generally speaking, I mean, as a security person, being able to log on to almost any news channel, and now all of a sudden the thing you care about that seems like everybody cares about. Um, we remember Russia was, uh, you know, and the, the attack campaigns coming out of state-sponsored threat actors in Russia was like the top news story as it affected elections or, you know, purportedly affected elections and things like that. Um uh CEOs now are forced to reckon with the fact that losses associated with a breach are incredibly substantial. Um, the last I looked in, in healthcare, which is where I came from, we were looking at like the HIMSS data and so forth. Uh, losses associated with a breach range anywhere between, on average, eight to $10 million annually. So if I'm going to lose $10 million annually associated with one breach, which by the way, when we told that to, I won't call out the specific organization, but I talked to a healthcare CISO and we said, Hey, we heard that, uh, you know, losses associated with any given breach is between eight and $10 million annually laughed in my face and said, it's much, much higher than that. Um, in fact, I have to respond to a breach right now. So it's, um, it's, it's catching people's attention just in the form of what we call annualized loss expectancy. So if I'm a CEO and I'm concerned about my reputation, well, hey, guess what's going to affect your reputation if you're on the front page of having a major breach and all of your customer data um, that, you know, exposed on anywhere it could possibly be exposed, uh, especially in healthcare where you're required to protect protected health information. But also you're seeing that profits or, you know, EBITDA or anything like that is substantially impacted because of losses associated with the breach. Now you're forced to pay attention to it. Another change that I see is that there's an attempt, academically speaking, 
to educate cybersecurity professionals, to force them to connect the dotted line between the security measures that they want to implement, implement any costs associated with that, and the business objectives. It's not easy to draw that line. You know, I think yeah. anybody in technology yeah. has to do that. But, you know, if we're going to, we're going to say, hey, if I buy this new, you know, if I invest in this application, here's how it's going to support business. That's not a hard line to draw. But for something that's supposed, I mean, solely designed to stop you from uh, getting exposed on the web, it's harder to draw that line to, okay, how do we sell more insurance? Or how do we uh, install more concrete? You know, whatever your business is, it's, it's, it's harder to draw the line between a security expenditure and the, the business value that it provides until you get to this point where you're taking on so many losses um, that you're forced to focus on it. And then it's quickly, you know, it's pretty easy to see um, how you support that. I will say this, though. Academically, you know, if you approach cybersecurity exclusively through the academic lens and I got my certifications, maybe my master's degree, you're going to learn a whole lot of things about what should be. Um, and then you go out there in the world and you see what actually is. We've been talking about defense. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean they're not the same thing? Come on now. <laughs> the <laughs> real mean, world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, wildly different. I mean, <clears throat> how long have we been saying the terms defense in depth? east-west firewalling you know in, in britain you know we go into we do these assessments pretty regularly how many how much of the internal data center traffic is hitting a firewall it's just it's generally almost all of it is not right and then, despite and, and, all the expenses yeah yeah go ahead that, that's the thing that, that sticks out to me the most over the last few years of doing this is how many of these customers come in and they have nothing <laughs> Like on the inside, it's it is we we refer to it as that the chewy center and inside the cookie, you know, where they they want to you know they get to, once they get to that point they can do whatever they want, but yeah. it's a little shocking. So a quick question yeah. for you, Ian: What defines a breach? Is it the actual act of the of when it happens? Is it after it's discovered inside the network? Can you kind of walk us through that a little bit, just for people just curious? Yeah, that's interesting. I think, again, I think in, you know, the traditional security circles, you, you know, people who work in security every day, you would define a breach as the point when the attacker makes entry into the environment. Um, and then a breach alone is not the most impactful thing. In fact, I've said many times over that if you look at the attackers, you know, if you're in the federal space, you might have called the kill chain or what I call the attacker's life cycle, the phases they have to go through to be successful in their attack. The making entry part, kind of bypassing the firewall, that's not the hardest part of the attack. A lot of times that's the easiest. It doesn't mean you can eliminate all your edge defenses, but making that breach is relatively easy. But that's that point where you need to think about, okay, what, what other tiers of defenses do I have in place thereafter to make sure that they don't get to the cash in prizes, whatever that may be. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, myself, even as a core SE, not you know, understanding NSX terribly in depth, like you folks as specialists were, uh, that we really talked a lot with customers about is, you know, once they get past that, what else do you have? I mean, they can hop yeah. anywhere internally after that. And that's where that micro segmentation protection comes in handy. So cool. Thank sure. you. Well, you know, in the primary tactic technique and procedure that we saw in our threat analyst report uh, two years in a row, was defense evasion. So when I talk about tactics, techniques, and procedures, we're using MITRE terminology. I don't want to get down on that 
Yeah, that's a whole know, other episode. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that being said, just say what the attacker does. You know, what's the mm-hmm. primary tactic they use to be successful? Well, um, it's you could think of it as disabling logging for a lot of the defense mechanisms we have inside of our environment. So if I put an agent-based or some some thing that's designed to detect malware or anomalous activity on a device and it sits on the least trusted part of that device's operating system, that attacker is going to spend a lot of time knowing that you can't find them right now. You can't like sick the FBI on them because they're totally obfuscated. I have time to figure out how to disable that or to get to a more trusted part of the operating system so that that doesn't matter anymore. So that's the that's the most common technique we saw employed by attackers for two years in a row. They want to figure out how to get in the environment, dwell for long periods of time, and in uh, w- going undetected. So, <clears throat> um, it, get, getting in isn't necessarily the hard part. It's it's being able to move around and, and get that long dwell time so that you can use all kinds of tools to get to the. I always call the cash and prizes, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You know. And what what percentage, you know, uh, me being a layperson from the security perspective, what percentage of attacks would you say are like nation state sponsored versus some teenager in his uh, parents' basement versus corporate espionage, all of the different categories of how would you break that down? You know, I, I, I'm not prepared to give you like exact percentages, but I will say this, it, what you should be concerned about in terms of most probable attacker personas is dependent on what type of organization you are. And this is why I think having threat intelligence is so important um, for, for organizations. So if I'm an organization that is Sarbanes-Oxley compliant, or if I house, you know, or, or actually I'll give you a, a real life example. I worked uh, in a past life with an organization that, did is a metallurgy company and the way they hardened steel was um it's like their secret sauce they kept that really close to the chest and if anybody else found that out then it devalues their business dramatically it's a small mom and pop shop and when we did a full threat uh report we did a threat analyst uh, analysis on all the data that we saw traversing their environment externally and internally we found that chinese state-sponsored threat actors were constantly extricating data from their environment to somewhere. We couldn't see exactly where because they obfuscated their source so well. But this little mom and pop shop never would have suspected that they were targeted by these highly advanced state-sponsored threat actors. Now, how is a mom and pop shop supposed to stand up to uh, a Chinese APT group where you know their state-sponsored threat actor group has up to 350,000, maybe close to 400,000 people now, as big as our NSA, <clears throat> or even bigger now, wow. just targeting wow. businesses around the world. And they have That's time crazy. on their side. They have the law on their side. They have money. Um, and if they get caught, which it's very unlikely that they would, um, again, they have the law on their side. So it's it, it's hard to defend against that. But what we find is that the appropriate defenses are actually the basics. We love to talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning and all this highly advanced stuff. It's usually clear text passwords. It's patching. It's don't click on the email. 
right? You know, it's all yeah. the basic things. <laughs> Don't plug in that them. USB drive somebody mailed you. But <laughs> yeah. I got a daily it's report. Somebody sent me this daily report that I get every day, except this is the first day I've ever received it. I have to open it. Clearly, this was meant <laughs> yeah. for me. Or it says yes. financial yeah. information. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 that, and I think that calls back to another thing that, that Pat brought out at VMworld like a, a year after that I just pulled out, where it's, you know, he talks about this security strategy of, you know, having secure infrastructure and an integrated ecosystem and cyber hygiene and all these kind of, the you know, uh, majoring on the majors, if you will, of like just the simple stuff that every organization should do, but yet, it's, yeah. you know, goes by the wayside for some, for, for a lot of organizations. Um, I mean, yeah. I think, I think occasionally uh, IT organizations will be tested like we were with, you know, Heartbleed or like we just were with Log4J where, you know, they all suddenly have to go into high gear and start patching and doing all kinds of extra work that they weren't expecting. And and that level of effort is really what kind of slows down, I think, security adoption overall because they we keep getting hit with these vulnerabilities that potentially could become exploits. And it's it's just, it is just the hard work. It's, it's a really, um, it shines light on what I've always said is a really important part. You can approach the world of cybersecurity through many different angles. You could choose to be an auditor and learn all about the regulatory standards. You could choose to be a firewall person. Um, you could choose to um, red teaming, blue team. I think if you look, if, if you choose the angle of threat research or, or threat intelligence, what you're doing is you're looking at exclusively what the attackers are doing. And for the less mature organizations, the, the organizations who have a less mature security posture, this is a place where they're oftentimes lacking. I don't think you have to be a, an advanced security professional to tell the value of this, which is, okay, look at my overall security program. I got, what are my vulnerabilities? What are my assets? You know, uh, what are my security, my protection mechanisms I have in place? What, are, what is my patching process? I go on and on. Am I doing pen testing, vulnerability assessments? Um, but I don't know who the attackers are that are targeting me. How can I prioritize which vulnerabilities I should mitigate for? Which, um, which patches I should implement? Or how can I prioritize anything in my security program if I don't know if it is it nation states? Is it fly-by-night, monetarily motivated threat actors who, if they don't get the hit, they move on? Is it, um, is it politically motivated? Like, there's, there's lots of different attacker profiles. How often do they hit? What tool sets do they have available to them? What campaigns are they generally associated with? How much damage are they likely to do? You know, all these things, if I had a better understanding of the attackers that target me, aka threat intelligence, then... Uh, I see that as almost like the other half of the security program. And that's why I, I do think we're in this advantageous position to say, you know, um, as VMware, we see inside the data center in most environments, right? So putting out a threat analyst report, we, we produce these every year and <clears throat> they contain data that I think is very easy to consume and very actionable, you know, um, if you look at a lot of threat analyst reports done by a lot of companies, you see that uh, it, it tends to be like, okay, you're digging through like the binaries of malware files and things like that. Right, right. We produce this right, very right. consumable, actionable data that says, hey, lateral movement almost always uses RDP. 
you know, use that, know that. If you want to stop lateral movement, look for this RDP traffic that's anomalous in nature, that's actionable, right? So um, back to your point, Tony, I think what percentage probably varies depending on the organization and, and what goods they have to offer out there either. Um, but, um, and that should prioritize your defense mechanisms inside the organization. One thing that I've understood through, you know, sitting through multiple uh, presentations from you know both the NSX team and the Carbon Black team and some of our synergies that we have there, uh, as far as threat mitigation. One thing that was frustrating me, you know, I guess it's been eons already, four years since I was on the customer side. But uh, we had a competitive product that we had that you know every time that I had a threat or something that came up on somebody's desktop and it, it would flag it, uh, I always had to do all the investigation manually, manually and find out what it was, how you know, evaluate it, everything manually. Uh, from what I understand, a lot of those things that we're offering are able to do some of that through AI and, and do some of that categorization for you and save a lot of that manual work. Uh, that always sounded really interesting to me from back in my customer days. Absolutely. Just kind of, the, it's, it's a challenge associated with the state of, securities, uh, of security as it's developed. So security typically being an afterthought. If I, um, I think of it, again, through the lens of the attacker, <clears throat> if uh, an attacker lifecycle is, is relatively predictable, we've mapped it out either through the MITRE framework or the federal kill chain framework or what have you, it's relatively predictable. We can say, okay, they're going to start gathering information passively somewhere. Then they're going to start scanning the environment, seeing what they can fingerprint. Okay, this port's open, this port's firewalled, whatever. They have an email server. Um, and then they make entry and then they look to... Um, they start scanning around. What am I connected to? Can I move to this other machine? Um, and then they drop their payload and they extricate data. And, you know, it's, it's relatively predictable. But the way the industry has responded, in my opinion, is basically to create a piece of technology for each individual phase of the attacker's lifecycle. Okay, I want to see, see those scanning attempts where they're trying to gather data. Um, I want to see them make entry. Okay, I got my firewall for that. I can see my, my intrusion detection mechanism should see that a lot of those scanning attempts. Um, I want to see them uh, drop the payload. Okay. I have anti-malware for that. I can see when they drop the actual malicious piece of software. I want to see when they're doing credential stuffing and things like that. Okay. My SIM should be able to detect that kind of stuff. Um, but the problem is, is I have the average organization has between 75 and 150 different security vendors that they're working with at any given time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The biggest yeah. challenge in security right now is not that any one piece of technology isn't good enough. It's that there's too many tech, too much technology. Complexity yeah. has yeah. become the enemy. And I think that's something, whether you, no matter where you approach security from, that's something everybody knows. So on, so, on, on that point, quick, Ian, <laughs> it, there has always been this idea in IT of having a best of breed kind of a architecture about how you're going to do things. And you just picking the best of virtualization software as VMware, picking the best of security might be somebody else. Mm -hmm. it, 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 are we shifting or trying to shift customers' minds now to away from this best of breed mentality and into a whole vendor solution stack? Is that, or, you know, first of all, is that a good idea? And second of all, um, you know, do we, do we think that customers will actually be attracted to that kind of a thing when they're used to looking at sort of the pick, you know, cherry pick, mm -hmm. you know, off the tree, what seems to be the best and what fits here and there? Yeah, well, I think the, the best of breed approach isn't necessarily 
horrible. It's like nobody knows it all. You know, if you're in charge of an overall security program, you're like, you know, we have to do antivirus. We tend to default to like, who's the best brand out there? Security is getting more budget than they ever have before. That budget keeps growing, but so do the losses. So our security expenditures, you could almost say we're losing the battle. You know, <laughs> despite spending more, we're not getting, the curve isn't going down in the other direction. So <clears throat> um, I don't blame anybody for saying, okay, who's the best out there? Okay, this vendor, they have it, you know, they have the best brand, we're buying that. I don't care if it's more expensive. But we've been doing that for so long that we have this tool sprawl. And I don't know that the opposite end of the spectrum is the right answer either to answer your question. Should I go with one vendor who can orchestrate everything? But I do think that what starts to take priority in every security operations center is simplifying operations. It has to be really, really easy to detect. It has to be easy to stop and it has to be easy to um, do things like post-breach analysis, what actually took place stringing it together. And, um, so some of the solutions you're starting to see in the market being adopted more and more are um, SOAR, SOAR, Security Orchestration and Automated Remediation Platforms. It's like, I have all this stuff. I want something else to orchestrate the, like, for example, the collection of threat intelligence data to enrich a ticket associated with a spam email or something or, or, or a phishing email or something like that and automate it all through the process so that I don't have to manually do it. That, that kind of solution tends to be welcomed because, um, you know, where automation gets a lot of pushback is when you feel like you're going to push people out of their job. But in security, we are 70% understaffed anyways. Everybody's out I have like, trying files. to contend with. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, in security, they're so understaffed anyways. Any simplification is, is very welcome. And at VMware, we're not trying to say, hey, we're going to displace all 150 vendors. We're not all things to all people. Yeah. But what we do have the ability to do is say, okay, we saw this intrusion attempt. We saw this lateral movement. We saw this payload drop. We saw this escalation of privilege. We saw almost the entire attacker's life cycle. And if I use the disparate approach where I have different technologies detecting each individual phase of the attacker's life cycle, um, those devices don't speak to each other intelligently so that it, it makes it easy to say, okay, all these indicators are associated with one attack and all of these indicators are associated with another attack. And here's how I should prioritize them. Like that's all a, oftentimes a manual effort or something we try to solve with a SIM and it's been a failing effort. So we're automating a, the stringing together of the attacker's life cycle as we see it and prioritizing them based on severity, based on vulner vulnerability and so forth. So it does, it's not all things to all people, but it does simplify a security operations center ability to get in, act efficiently, act appropriately, and move on to the next one. So before I, think the attack. I think that especially comes in handy when you have smaller organizations as well, where you've got, you know, like I was a guy that wears many, many hats. You don't have the yeah. time to dedicate as much to that as if you were a large org with a dedicated security team. I think those mm -hmm. those tools really help mitigate and make things easier for smaller teams. Definitely. So then, it, we're yeah, kind of turning it around. Then, so you know, we when we've been started to do this messaging you know, with a lot of your leadership on the healthcare side, is you know what makes up then the VMware kind of best of breed or. VMware cybersecurity strategy play 
you know, what, what are the things that, that make up, like if we're, if we're to walk into a customer and say, do these three things, like what are the three things that, that a customer needs to consider? Yep. Um, I, I wish it was like groundbreaking stuff. You know, I wish we were going to go in and say like, there's this new amazing thing that, you know, uh, if you just turn this on, it's going to be amazing. Uh, you know, we have some cool stuff, but, you know, obviously we have Carbon Black in our wheelhouse now. Carbon Black somebody well before I was ever at VMware, I always read their research reports. They, they're an incredible group there. Um, their ability to detect and uh, respond appropriately, appropriately to attacks at the endpoint in my opinion, is unparalleled. Um, now we have this group where uh, our, we call it the threat analyst unit. We, we have uh, the folks that came from VMware, the folks that came from last line, which I can go into in, in more detail what value they bring to the table, and the folks that came from Carbon Black, ingesting data, collaborating, um, and, and enriching the rest of our products with really high fidelity threat data so that you know, it's not necessarily about brand or, or it's basically saying, hey, our ability to detect an attack, whichever uh, phase of the attacker's lifecycle they're in and respond appropriately is, is really, really, really great. Um, but in terms of just, you know, what the customer should be doing, it's, it's first of all, we see uh, passwords being sent over the wire in clear text. 70% um, of breaches, I believe, associated they were able to grab credentials directly off the wire because they were sent in clear text that's a that's a quick win wow. right like let's let's stop doing that immediately <laughs> wow <laughs> um and you know emails we have to we have to leave the email thing open like we're going to continue to do emails as much as i can tell so uh, you know how do you get people to stop clicking on the emails training is a good solution but also being able to inspect what's in the email. Um, it, it, again, I use that term high fidelity because it's like there's false alarms. I, I talked about complexity of tool sprawl. That's one problem, but uh, just false alarms, uh, false positives of saying, hey, this is an alert. That's what Sims are doing right now. They're just producing tons and tons of false alarms. Um, reducing the amount of noise is essential. So uh, leverage tools that are very, they're not missing the bad stuff, but they're catching. Uh, they're also not producing false alarms for the for the good stuff as well, so that distraction alone doesn't become a problem. And then make sure that whatever you bring into the ecosystem can speak intelligently to the other things you have in the ecosystem. You don't want vendors that sell exclusivity and proprietarity. If I said that word correctly, something like that. They're they're not proprietary. <laughs> I get it. Um, uh, uh, it, yeah, I missed grammar class. Sorry. It's okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, it, you know, hey, you do everything with us or, or you do nothing, right? Like you want, you want somebody who can play well in the sandbox with others so that they can share their intelligence with the next tool and so forth. And it makes it very easy for SecOps folks to respond appropriately. And most importantly, I think the theme of what I've been describing is efficiently, you know, win fast, lose fast kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I like to make up words in the podcast too. So we're, we're all in good, we're all in good shape here, but <laughs> I'm really good at that. Yeah. Does it make me sound yeah. more intelligent? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, uh, 
the other piece of this, I think that as we, I think we're going to have to try to start wrapping her up here. Um, so there, there's kind of two ways that we can kind of go with this. So, I mean, first of all, I think everybody needs to be more security minded and you know, that that's from the customer's level. That's from, you know, vendors like VMware's level. That's, you know, Microsoft is, is really taking leaps and bounds into the security space. There's, you know, it seems like security is kind of the thing that everybody's talking about today, but really it, it feels like nobody's doing it extremely well. And, and I don't know why that is. Um, Log for J, anyone? Yeah, may, maybe we just, you know, as as there are problems that that pop up like this, you know, it's just, just going to be, you know, kind of the way things are. But at the same point, <laughs> how do we, you know, start to influence customers to be more security minded, first of all? And second of all, if you're an IT professional today, what is kind of the thing? Like, if you're thinking about changing lanes in your career, your IT career, you know, like how does somebody get into the the world of security? Because it really is it's its own dedicated thought process and track that doesn't necessarily align with IT in general. I mean, there's whole it's it you know I, I was once uh, visiting somebody in a hospital and two doctors got on the elevator with me and they had a conversation. I had no idea what they were talking about and they got off and I was just like, wow, that's what that's like. Cause like people say, used to say that to me all the time. They were just like, I would say stuff to them and they'd just be like, I have no idea what you just said. And so it just, so it's, it, it's, when I first started kind of having conversations with deep minded security people like yourself, Ian, I, I often found myself confused and bewildered and angry. And so, yeah. you know, like it, and it's intimidating as, as an IT person who's been doing this for 20 plus years. Um, to like all of a sudden be exposed to this new landscape of terminology and just certifications and all these other things that were there all the time. But if you're, you know, if you've been in the industry for any length, length of time, just, just, just head down building stuff. It really doesn't translate into the same thought pattern. So like, I'm, I'm sure there's a question in there you can answer somewhere, but, but but in general, it's like, yeah, how do we get more security minded and how do people start to communicate with them? Because it, again, it seems yeah. like maybe that's part of the problem is like regular people and security people just tend to not communicate well. And I think that's even evidenced by Pat's message at the beginning of CEOs and CISOs don't think the same way. So how do we get sort of this cohesiveness to happen between people who think in a secure way and people who don't? Yeah, the infrastructure people want this new thing and the security people are thinking, well, how am I going to secure it? Yeah. Well, you said one thing that's right is regular people aren't security people. There's, there's two very <laughs> different things. I got one right. Um, a special breed. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think um, we really do have to get out of this place. I, I, I partially blame security for being a separate silo. Um, and that's another thing where we talk about security academically, how it shouldn't be a separate silo. It should be embedded. You know, my software developer should have a software development lifecycle that considers code reviews and it considers, you know, you know variable check or parameter checking, all these things. Um, but then you go in the real world and security is its own silo. It's the house of no. <clears throat> um, I think really it, it comes down to the organization thinking differently about how, first of all, technology enables their organization, how security enables the organization and, and how security enables technology. And it's impossible now to operate securely in an effective way 
by keeping security a separate silo. That doesn't mean we're not doing it, but we're also losing the battle in a big way. You have to say, my software team has a security function. You know, my infrastructure team, you know, networking has done it for a while. Networking is the controlled the firewalls for quite a while. Um, but it's not embedded throughout the organization. And if you embed it throughout the organization and have a, an oversight committee, almost like a tiered approach that looks throughout the organization and say, okay, here's all my pieces embedded throughout the various components of the environment. Are what is what we're doing mapping to our security policy that our CISO set forward? And our CISO defined a security policy that maps to the business objectives. And so that's, I think, an operating model of the future where we can embed security throughout the environment, not make it its own thing. Um, and, you know, as security pros, we probably take a little pride in, um, in knowing something that you don't know. So we got to get over that. Um, that's not helpful for anybody. Yeah, that's, it's not helpful that's to speak pervasive in all of it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Can, yeah. Holding information hostage. Exactly. Um, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't protect our job, especially if we're losing. So, you know, um, yeah, I, 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 I think I, that's I know, an I, I've said this for a long time. Like I've, I've, I've always been in rooms of people where you, you can always tell there's, there's one person in who thinks he's the smartest person in the room. And in most cases, that person usually is the smartest person in the room and it's never me. Um, and so I'm just like. <laughs> Like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be kind of perceived in that manner because everybody always perceives that smart, quote, smartest guy in the room, you know, as the one who's making all the decisions anyways. And so yeah. like, you know, I think that's where we kind of have to get past a little bit of the, the egocentricness that, that can happen in certain roles like this. And, and, you know, like there's always a little bit of that, you know, well, the, the IT infrastructure admin thinks that they're the most important person because if they don't build it, nothing happens. The security guy thinks, well, if I don't secure it and everything breaks down, then everything comes on me anyways. So I'm the most important person. Mm -hmm. And I think we really just have to get past all of this stuff and realize we're all on the same team. We're all in the same boat together. And then I think from a mm -hmm. vendor perspective, from like what VMware is doing, we need to support those people with tooling mm -hmm. and education and stuff that actually works um, and, and build kind of build the boat that they can all ride on because ultimately as, as a vendor solution, we're the ones at the, who are really kind of driving this thing. So mm -hmm. that's the way I'd look well, at this it. Right old, there's this old world approach where, and I used to say this all the time, there's a spectrum on one side lives security, complete security, complete security means you've shut the doors to your business or you think of it from a personal perspective. The only way I can be totally secure is if I hold my breath, long enough, then all the problems go away and I'm, and I'm totally secure, right? <laughs> and on the other end of the spectrum is like high risk acceptance, it's performance, right? So where do you live on that spectrum? Are you highly secure, low performance, or are you high performance, low security? And it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and we're stepping into a world now, if you look at some of the technologies that are out there, if we templatize security profiles that deploy with work that deploy with the workloads when they deploy and things like that. You can actually say our time to market is faster and more secure. So security is enabling higher performance. You can't say that very often in anywhere else in security. So that's I think a, a an approach for the future as well. Yeah. To your point. So so I I I I got one one more audio clip that I really wanted to play in this episode. There's a couple that I wanted to fit in here but this was the one thing that I, I think maybe we should try to work this into our messaging in. Let me put it this way. I'm standing in front of a burning house and I'm offering you fire insurance on it. <laughs> 
So like, let's, let, you know, let's get people the insurance because their house is on fire in a lot of cases and you know, whether they know it or not. And I think we need to really like get the message out to customers, get the message out to partners, get the message out to whoever we can that VMware has a security strategy and, and you know, we're ready to talk to customers about it. And that's why your team exists, Ian, is so that you guys can really communicate this stuff well. How, um, like, like, you know, this, this show is generally, you know, available to anybody, but if somebody's mm -hmm. brand new to understanding that VMware is a security company, how do they engage close enough to VMware to get into, to get somebody from your team to help them out? You engage my team, Britain. They have to reach out to you. I know. I'm asking the stupid <laughs> question <your> because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're the front line. Right. Uh, so it's all your fault and you're totally accountable. Well, nice. I guess I'll take it that way. Then. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ian, this has been extremely enlightening as I expected it would be. Um, and I think ulti ultimately this is something, you know, we need to do on a fairly regular basis. We, we have, we have had a security focused episode in years past. Um, and I think, you know, as we attempt to start doing this more often again, um, we will do this as much as we can. Um, I, I think the security landscape as that keeps changing, I think we need to keep kind of the foot on the gas and keep talking about it more. Um, any final thoughts, words of advice, affirmation, encouragement? Um, I think, you know, it, you described the house being on fire and we're standing in front of it selling insurance. That's so bleak. I don't think it's quite that bleak. <laughs> um, and, you know, a, any security person who talks about, you know, the impact and then the way to solve for it, they're accused of selling fear and, and doubt. I, you know, there is a path forward. The horizon is in sight. It's not all losses for everybody all the time, but um, it's actually an exciting space to be in because we are revolutionizing the way customers approach their security environments. And you're seeing that change take place in real time. And that gives me a lot of hope. So I would say consider VMware as well. Stay close to what we're doing in, in our events and the content that we produce. Uh, you might be greatly surprised at how we're building in for uh, security uh, control mechanisms into the fabric that you probably already trust for large portions of your data in your data center. So, um, yeah. And then reach out to Britain exclusively for all questions. Yes. And I will promptly pull in someone from Ian's team to help. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Tony, any thoughts? No, I'm good. All Thanks right. for joining me. Thank you guys. And uh, yeah, this has been really, really cool. And, you know, yeah, no, the, the, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, we do not try to play up that too much on things. But I mean, at the same point, you know, the, one of the very first VMUG presentations I did before I was a, even a VMware employee was all about security. And I had this YouTube clips of security breach after security breach after security breach. It's just, it, it just never ends. And I feel like unless we start to get the the, the level of importance high enough to, for people to start thinking about it and reacting, um, it just doesn't hit. So that, you know, I don't like to paint a bleak picture either, but at the same point, sometimes negative, ne negative influence causes reactions. So that's the only reason I bring that up. But at any rate, thank you, Ian. I appreciate your support and leadership as always, and uh, look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the GigaCast. My thanks to Ian Curtis and Tony for joining us today. 
If you like the show, please rate us on your podcast app of choice. Please share it so us can find us. Thanks for listening, and we will hope to come at you again with more episodes soon in 2022. Sorry for the delay. We're all trying to come back. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks. Did you see the memo about this?